The following episode contains descriptions of medical horror. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. The following is from Amelia B. Edwards, the Phantom Coach. The world, he said, grows hourly more and more skeptical of all that lies beyond its own narrow radius, and our men of science foster the fatal tendency. They condemn as fable all that resists experiment. They reject as false all that cannot be brought to the test of the laboratory or the dissecting room. Against what superstition have they waged so long and obstinate a war as against the belief in apparitions? And yet, what superstition has maintained its hold upon the minds of men so long and so firmly? Show me any fact in physics, in history, in archaeology, which is supported by testimony so wide and so various, attested by all races of men, in all ages and in all climates, by the soberest sages of antiquity, by the rudest savage of today, by the Christian, the pagan, the pantheist, the materialist. This phenomenon is treated as a nursery tale by the philosophers of our century. Circumstantial evidence weighs with them as a feather in the balance. The comparison of causes with effects, however valuable in physical science, is put aside as worthless and unreliable. The evidence of competent witnesses, however conclusive in a court of justice, counts for nothing. He who pauses before he pronounces is condemned as a trifler, he who believes is a dreamer or a fool. Hi everyone, I'm Alastair Murden, and this is the newest Spotify original from Parcast, Haunted Places Ghost Stories, a sister series to Parcast Haunted Places. Ghost stories have arisen from every century and every corner of the world, from the streets of Victorian Whitechapel to the swamps of Bangladesh. Whether seated around the campfire or curled up with a pair of headphones, we return to them time and again to feel our skin crawl and our hearts race. Each week, Ghost Stories reimagines chilling paranormal tales from history's most sinister storytellers, told like you've never heard them before. You can find episodes of Ghost Stories and all other podcast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Today's story comes from the novelist, journalist, travel writer, Egyptologist, and queer literary luminary, Amelia B. Edwards. Her short story, The Phantom Coach, is a tale of desolate moors, swirling snow, and a scientist with supernatural intentions. We'll step into the snow after this. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. 
Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. My name is James Murray, and for over 20 years now, I have kept my thoughts to myself. In part, this was to keep from frightening my wife. But in the majority, it was because my last attempt at telling this tale did not end happily. Yet, as my time on Earth grows shorter, I find myself in need of unburdening this moment to another audience. Do not look for faults within my story, as I assure you that everything I describe did pass. I will not argue the point any further, as past experience has taught me that it will only send the two of us in circles. Instead, I implore you to listen with an open mind. Creatures of reason like ourselves know to always look for the rational in the world. Sometimes, however, the rational explanation looms just out of reach, and so-called rational men can be the most deceived. Nearly 20 years ago to the day, I spent the day hunting, searching for grouse through the scope of my gun. My thoughts, however, must have been elsewhere, as my aim suffered greatly. As the sun started to fall with the first drops of snow, I found myself without a prize to carry home to my wife. I had been so occupied with the hunt that I had neglected to keep track of the time. The bitter cold of December forced its way into my lungs, choking my breath with icy fingers. The moors were unfriendly at the best of times, but the dead of winter made them most inhospitable. The softest dusting of snow fell onto my shoulders, but I was more preoccupied with the dimming of the light. My wife had been loath to let me leave the house. It is the curse of newlyweds that they can barely spend a second apart. For her patience, I promised that I would be home before dark. As I looked around the dimming moors, I realized, with a growing sense of unease, that I did not know where I was. There were no landmarks along the horizon that I could use to orient myself. No friendly lights shone amidst the darkness. There was no stable or small dwelling that I could use for shelter. The snow began to fall in earnest. Were it made of water rather than ice, I'd find myself near drowning. My search for a guidepost had overtaken my thoughts, and I hadn't noticed the sudden influx of white as it fell in heavy sheets around me. I steadied my gun at my side and pulled my legs out of the snow. I could not hold in my displeasure as the wind rattled through my bones. With no hope of rescue from some good citizen on a cold winter's night, I set off on my own. The snow swirled around my face, melting as soon as it touched my skin. I tried to keep my mind away from the growing snowbanks that could swallow me whole. My eyes burned against the blowing cold as I squinted into the snowy maelstrom. For a strange moment, 
I swore I saw a shape ahead of me, the snow sticking to an invisible form. I gasped and slipped, barely recovering on a frost-covered rock. When I blinked again, the shape was gone. I told myself it was merely an illusion. Thoughts of my wife brought some relief, but the idea of her fear and concern was more painful to me than the sharp winds and blistering cold of the surrounding storm. Perhaps I would never make it to her at all. I recalled several stories about tired men set adrift in the snow. When the world turned a blinding white, they wandered around in the cold for hours until their bodies gave out. A quiet plea for rest had them curling up in the soft pillows of snowbanks. Their eyes never opened again. Sometimes these men were only a few feet from their beloved homes, salvation frozen out of reach. Would the same fate befall me? My thoughts were already starting to slow. My legs struggled to wade through the thick blanket of snow. How tempting it was to sink beneath that white quilt forever. No, I could not bear the thought of losing my life as it had only started to begin. I shouted into the distance, begging for someone to hear me. I shouted at the top of my lungs, making the world feel my panic. Over and over again, I unleashed sound into the night in the hopes that something would carry back to me. When my chest had run out of air, I stopped to listen. I could not be sure if it was my own foolish hope or if someone was answering me. I yelled again. Something did answer back. Better than an answering voice, the smallest glow of light came from the darkness. The light danced backwards and forwards. Salvation had smiled upon me. I ran towards the constantly moving light until a man appeared alongside it. He did not look like one capable of granting salvation. His face was old, cracked with time and disapproval. His lips pulled down in a perpetual groan. He did not appear as impressed with me as I was of him. Thank God, I exclaimed. What for? He growled. Well, for you, I answered. I began to fear I should be lost in the snow. The gnarled man was impassive. Meh, them folks do get cast away hereabouts from time to time. And what's to hinder you from being cast away likewise, if the Lord's so minded? I tried not to get taken in by the despair of that statement. Instead, I focused on logistics. According to him, my home of Dwalding was 20 miles away. The closest town was also 20 miles off, in the opposite direction. Still, he must have come from somewhere. He was hesitant to answer as I asked where he stayed. He swung his lantern in response, casting a shifting light off into the distance. It wasn't a clear enough instruction to follow. Still, I insisted that I would be following him home. He laughed with a harsh bark. <laughs> The master won't let you in. Surely he couldn't be correct. Any good man would provide shelter to one who needed it. From the look on my strange companion's face, it appeared that this man of the house was not a good one. But I could not afford to take my chances in the snow alone. 
I told him that I would walk alongside my new acquaintance and force my way in if need be. The man laughed again, his chortle far colder than the freezing squall around us. But he turned into the darkness and bade me follow. Our shadows were dark and featureless below the moon. The servant walked with a strong limp, one leg clearly leading the way as the other dragged across the snow. His shadow, however, walked perfectly upright, long and lean. I tried to look closer, but cloud covered the moon, obliterating our silhouettes. We trudged on apace, my discomfort growing with each step. I should have been relieved when we stopped, but I wasn't. There was a large, dark house standing out against the snow. It loomed over the covered land like a fortress not ready to declare surrender. A snarling dog barreled towards me. Yet again, I braced myself for death. Instead, it stopped near my acquaintance, cavorting around him and panting happily. He offered the dog a bite of something shriveled from his coat, then walked briskly up to the massive entrance and held his light up to the key. The man clicked the key into position and the door began to creak open flooding the snowbank with the warm glow of golden lamps. I did not miss my chance for sanctuary, dashing into the hall as the man pulled the key out of the door. I took in my first taste of fire-warmed air. In my rush, I did not realize that the great door had closed with a heavy thunk, like the portcullis of a great keep, or a prison. Up next, our narrator meets the strange occupant of the mysterious house on the moors. Hi listeners, Alastair here with a quick but special announcement. The newest Spotify original from Parcast is unlocking the mysteries of superstitions. If you've ever broken a mirror or walked under a ladder, you know the feeling. You've just doomed yourself to bad luck. But have you really been marked for misfortune? Every week on Superstitions, take a closer look at eerie, almost mystical beliefs and practices that might just have the power to change our fates. Can holding your breath while passing a cemetery save your life? Will carrying a rabbit's foot bring you luck? How can you go through life always avoiding the number 13? And why should you try? They may seem mystical or even completely illogical, but one thing is certain, you ignore them at your own risk. You can find and follow Superstitions free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. To hear more podcast shows, search Podcast Network in the Spotify search bar and find a growing slate of thrilling new series to enjoy. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now, back to the story. 
The house was like nothing I had ever seen before. The facade was gothic, but modern all at once. A strange combination of trim and buttresses with shingles so dark, they seemed to swallow up the struggling light of the moon. The interior was somehow more ominous than even the servant's strange demeanor had suggested. Though I was glad of the rescue from the snow, I worried about the servant's warning that his master would not welcome me. The hallway seemed to be used for cast-offs that would not fit elsewhere. Lumber was piled in the corner alongside corn and flour. Hunks of pork flesh hung from the ceiling alongside bundles of dried herbs. It did not feel much like a house at all. Amidst the miscellaneous goods piled to the ceiling was a large lump hidden under a white cloth. Compelled by my own curiosity, I lifted a corner of the sheet. The long metal tube could hardly be mistaken for anything else. Of all the things I might have expected underneath the cloth, finding a telescope was a surprise. These were meant for spaces where one could see the stars, not hidden beneath cloth, begging for release. A bell screamed behind me. My hand dropped from the cloth. I turned to see my acquaintance looking at me, but my breath caught as I heard the cloth fluttering to the ground behind me, no doubt exposing the evidence of my curiosity. My reluctant guide's lip twisted into a smile. It was more unnerving than his laugh. He made no mention of the scientific instrument and told me that the master was ready to see me. I could see the dirt smeared underneath his nails as he pointed to a door opposite the clutter of the hallway. As I looked at the door, the dark lacquer of the wood reminded me of a coffin. Still, I was not yet afraid of facing anything so I knocked and entered the room without permission. A wizened old man sat in a dusty chair, his cold gaze fixed on a tome so ancient it might have been saved from the Library of Alexandria. His skin was pale and papery, as if he'd never seen the sun. He rose from his seat to a long and lean height, his voice trembling with rage. I was struck by the similarity of his frame to the shadow I swore I had seen behind Jacob, but he fired a multitude of questions at me before I could fully address the thought. Who was I? What did I want? Where did I come from? When was I leaving? I answered simply, James Murray, barrister at law, on foot across the moor, meet, drink and sleep. His accusing eyes went to the servant. Jacob, how could you allow this? Jacob, as I gleaned, was the name of my acquaintance, professed his innocence. In his words, I had followed him up towards the house and forced my way inside. The owner turned on me again. And pray, sir, by what right have you forced an entrance into my house? I felt a sense of injustice rise in me then. My only crime was my vulnerability, its only cause, forgetfulness. I would not let this stranger shame me when I was already filled with such regret for the pain of my wife, who was waiting for me. The same by which I should have clung to your boat if I were drowning. The right of self-preservation. I felt him deliberating like a gathering storm. I would not have wondered if he threw me out into the snow. 
But then he strode to the largest pair of curtains I had ever seen. He pulled them open to expose the near solid white beyond. He took a deep, portentous breath, then dropped the curtains again, his demeanor brusque. You may stay, if you choose, till morning. And then, without waiting for an answer, he added, Jacob, serve the supper. Quickly, quickly! He gestured to a chair in a wordless order. I placed my gun down carefully against the wall, but was reluctant to let it go. His study appeared to be more a collection of curios than anything else. Strange instruments crowded mismatched tables. The faded walls had been covered in neat scratches of diagrams and words that I found difficult to decipher. The floor was covered in a series of maps and other drawings that were impossible to understand. In a normal house, the centerpiece of the room would be the elaborate organ the man possessed. But this gentleman had pushed it to the side. Devils and angels climbed up the wooded portion of the instrument, each side bearing their weapons and readying themselves for a fight. Further back was a cabinet. The door had been left ajar, and shiny metal instruments used in surgeries glinted from the shelves. Small preserving jars were filled with body parts. I could not tell if they were from animals or men. I watched him, expecting him to watch me in return, but he remained locked in his work, eyes moving slowly across the pages of a near-crumbling book. I wondered what would compel a man to keep such instruments at the ready. Are you a, a surgeon, sir? I asked. In a manner of speaking, the man replied. I wish now that I hadn't asked. Jacob walked back into the room with bread, ham, eggs and sherry. I dove upon the meal as though I'd never seen such spoils in all my life. My teeth tore through the ham with vigor. My host, by contrast, had a small dish of porridge and milk. We ate in silence, until his spoon dropped into the bowl. The master of the house looked up at me with an almost strange politeness. Mr. Murray, I have lived here in strict retirement for three and twenty years. My last guest visited this very night four years ago. Will you favor me with a few words of information respecting that outer world from which I have parted company so long?" I nodded. I should not have been surprised that his primary interest was scientific matters, but not being of a scientific bent, I was at a significant disadvantage. He started to pepper in his own solutions to the questions he asked as a means of stringing meaning from my answers. At some point, although I cannot remember how, he appeared to abandon all pretense and lecture me at length about worlds seen and unseen. We trust the eyes of a man to condemn his friend to death in court, yet we do not believe that same man when he says that he saw the lost friend three days after his hanging. Ridiculous. I tried to turn my laugh into a cough, but I was already caught. His stare burned upon me blue irises cutting like steel. I mean, or should say, I tried to tie it to a topic I knew. Ah, the law. A reminder of law and order would certainly do. I explained. 
While we accept a witness, material evidence is far preferable. A check, a weapon, a body. Did my host's eyes glint? No, it must have been a trick of the lamps. I continued, desperately hoping to fill the silence. Such evidence of ghosts would need to be just as concrete, being outside the mortal realm, by definition. My host nodded vigorously. I agree. I have probed the reality of death with every avenue available to me. I glanced to the cabinet with its preserved viscera and sharp tools. I did not ask which avenues he had taken. He continued. I offered unassailable truth to men of science and have received nothing but ridicule. So, I have turned my back on the world of the living until they understand the nature of the dead. I will not stop until I have evidence they will accept. There was a mournfulness to this statement. There was anger, yes, but there was regret too. As if he was the scorpion who stung the frog halfway across the stream. His obsession was driven by his nature. I wanted to say something comforting, but my mind was still fixated on the surgical elements and the jars. He had not abandoned his research, even if he'd abandoned the world. I wished to ask who his last guest had been and how long they had come to visit. Perhaps it was best to ask when they'd left. The master rose from his chair and moved to the window, declaring that the snow had stopped before even lifting the curtain. Joy gripped me tightly for the briefest moment as I thought of my wife, who might still see my face soon. That small flicker of hope was quickly doused by the painful reminder that I could not walk 20 miles in one night. I said as much to my host. I could only think of my wife and my promise to her. She must not be alone. The longer I sat here, the more I wondered if it was even possible to leave such a place as this. It had arisen from nothing when I needed it most, but everything about it was not quite right. I described my wife's terror to my host, hoping that he would understand my urgency. I could not leave her alone in such a state, not even if I could gain some valuable rest. I would pay any cost to reunite with her. He smiled with a devilish twinkle in his eye. Your wish can be gratified at a less costly rate. The nightmare from the north, which changes horses at Dwolding, passes within five miles of this spot and will be due at a certain crossroad in about an hour and a quarter. If Jacob were to go with you across the moor and put you into an old coach road, you could find your way, I suppose to where it joins the new one? Easily, gladly, I stammered. My host, however, wasn't quite done with me. He raced to another cabinet filled with strangely colored liquids and poured one of them into a cup. The snow lies deep, and it will be difficult walking tonight on the moor. A glass of usquebaugh before you start? I had no fondness for the whiskey from the north, but he insisted, and I swallowed the liquid, 
even as it burned a hole through my throat. I coughed and felt his hand on my back, pushing more air from my body as he guided me out. As Jacob pulled open the creaking door, I felt a sense of calm pass over me. Whatever this man may be doing in his house, I was free of it now. He had forgiven my trespasses. He had bid me to drink a warming spirit. Perhaps he still had some hope for humanity, some interest in hospitality. I would later recount the story to my wife and she would laugh at what a flighty, forgetful thing I was. I took my first step into the snow as though I were a schoolboy who had just heard the bell. Had I known what still awaited me in the darkness, I did not think I would have been so quick to leave the house. The horrors ahead would be far worse than the horrors behind me. Thanks again for tuning in to Haunted Places Ghost Stories. We will be back on Thursday with the conclusion of Amelia B. Edwards' The Phantom Coach. You can find more episodes of Ghost Stories and all other originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. See you on the other side. Haunted Places Ghost Stories is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Russell Nash, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Erin Larson. This episode of Haunted Places Ghost Stories was written by Lil D. Ritter and Jennifer Roche, with writing assistance by Greg Castro. I'm Alastair Murden. Hang a horseshoe above your door, keep a rabbit's foot in your pocket, and follow Superstitions free on Spotify. Listen every Wednesday for the surprising backstories to our most curious beliefs and thrilling tales that illuminate the mystical eeriness of our favorite superstitions. 